If we haven't met before, my name is Ashley and I'm the senior pastor here. And if we have met before, you might be thinking my voice sounds a little different. I'm a little husky today. Uh, This week I was talking to my son and I was saying, don't hit your sister in my mom voice, you know. Um, But he said, mom, you sound like a boy. (laughs) And I said, yes, that's true, I do sound like a boy. No, don't hit your sister. The only time it's not good to have a voice is when you communicate for a living. And when you're a parent, you know. Uh, It reminds me this one time, my husband and I were on a plane from California and I got to sit next to the stranger. You know, my husband got the aisle seat and I was in the middle. And the guy next to me, he's, he's talking to me and I'm like, hey, nice to meet you. What do you do for a living? And he's like, oh, I'm a hot air balloon pilot. I'm like, that is so cool. I love that. He's like, yeah, it has its ups and downs. I know, I walked right into that. (laughs) And then he's like, what do you do for a living? You know, I thought for a moment. And I'm like, well, I'm a pastor. And he said, stewardess, I will take two vodkas, please, for the rest of this flight. I think he maybe believed some urban legends about pastors and maybe the church and Jesus, and this series would have been good for him. We want to welcome you to week four of Urban Legends. Come on. Today we're talking about the oldest urban legend in the book. It's Bigfoot. Come on. Bigfoot has been around for actually over a thousand years. They found hieroglyphics of Bigfoot. Let's check them out. We'll put them on the screen for you. Oh yeah, definitely Bigfoot probably, right? (laughs) Definitely. The Algonquin tribe called the creature Wendago, while other Native Americans called it Sasquatch. And the modern legend comes from a 1950s newspaper article that talked about footprints seen in California by loggers. Well, the thing is, in 2002, one of those loggers passed away and his family was like, Our dad is the one who made the Bigfoot footprints. I know, I know. In 1967, we actually had some Bigfoot footage. It's on the screen for you right now. So this is the most famous video of Bigfoot ever taken. This is one of the still frames from it. Never been explained. There's been 10,000 Bigfoot sightings in recorded history with a thousand of them in New York, a thousand in Pennsylvania. I think we have one more picture for you from somebody's trail cam. Oh yeah, definitely, probably Bigfoot, you know. Most likely Bigfoot is, you know, black bear sightings. Sorry to disappoint you. In 1987, the movie Harry and the Hendersons came out with John Lithgow, have you guys seen that one? I remember watching it as a kid and thinking, Bigfoot's real, wow, this is crazy. No, it's just an urban legend. And in this series, we are debunking beliefs about God that have been taken out of context. We're debunking urban legends that have been passed down for generations in our culture and in the church. And we're gonna be talking about a big one today. It's the one that says, God won't give you more than you can handle. It's true, it's an urban legend. I think I first heard this phrase when I was a kid. I'm like, that's nice. And then as an adult, I started working at a church and my dad is so sweet, he got me this glass teddy bear holding a sign that says, God won't give you more than you can handle. So I could put it on my desk and remember, I can handle anything that comes my way. 
But is that true? I mean, what about the things that I feel like I definitely can't handle? Is God like, did he make a mistake? What about opportunities that are too big for me and trials that are too much for me? I mean, it's a nice sentiment, but the words that are supposed to be comforting, actually, they produce guilt and shame and doubt. They get us focusing on ourselves and our ability instead of relying on God and his ability. And anytime we start focusing on ourselves instead of him, we start to operate in religion and we relate to God out of what we can do instead of out of what he can do. He wants us to have a relationship with him. Come on. When we face more than we can handle, he doesn't want us to pull up our bootstraps and suck it up. He wants us to trust him. Raise your hand if you've ever felt overwhelmed. If you've ever felt like there's too much going on or if you've ever had more than you could handle on your plate. It's basically all of us in this room. Today's message is for you. I'm excited about what God has for us. You see, God is better than the urban legends that we believe. And you might be thinking, isn't there a verse that God won't give you more than you can handle? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's look at it together. It's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be be that you may be able to bear it. God won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. That's not God won't give you more than you can handle. This verse isn't talking about opportunities. It's not talking about trials. It's very specifically talking about temptation. It's saying you won't face any temptation that hasn't already been experienced by mankind. You won't face any temptation that Jesus didn't face and defeat at the cross. Come on. And when you're tempted by the enemy, when you're tempted by your own desires, God will always give you a way out. He'll give you another option. He'll give you a better choice. It's kind of like an escape room. Have you guys ever done those? It's like this thing you pay to go to, and it's a big puzzle you walk through with a team of friends. I went to one one time, and I was really terrible at it. And in every single room, we had to ask for a hint. We're like, we cannot escape this room. Will you just help us because I don't know what's wrong with us. We can't figure it out. I want to tell you, God's way of escaping is not complicated like that. He doesn't make it hard. In every temptation, he's like, there's a really obvious, easy answer. There's an option. There's a way to live greater. Hebrews 4.15 says, we don't have a priest who's out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing. He's experienced it all except for the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he's ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. Come on. Jesus was tempted in every way, but he did not sin. He did not miss the mark. He always trusted God. And he's not too good to hear your problems. He's not too busy to help with your troubles. He was tested in the desert by the enemy. And in every way he was tested, he responded with the word of God. He says, no, I believe in God and his truth. He felt every human weakness that we feel. Before he went to the cross, he was like, God, this is hard. Take it from me. But then he decided, not my will, but yours be done. 
Jesus felt everything that we feel. He experienced it all and he never sinned. It's amazing. And now sin has no power over us when we trust in Jesus. So when we need help, we don't have to be afraid to walk right up to him and ask him for it. Come on. So God won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you can handle. There's always a way out. And that's good news. Tell the person next to you, that's good news. Come on. He won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. So when you're being tempted, remember, there's a way out. Look for the way out. Trust God. Now let's talk about the times that you will face more than you can handle. There are two times in life when you will face way more than you can handle. The first one is trials that are bigger than your ability to overcome on your own. And these trials do not come from God. The Apostle Paul talked about it. He said he was beaten, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked, he was in danger from all kinds of people. He almost died several times. And it's not that God allowed these things in his life. We talked about that last week. God does not take, he only gives. The enemy is the one who takes. The enemy is the one who tries to steal from you, who tries to hurt you. It's not God. Make sure you listen online if you weren't here last week. But Paul faced trials. He faced trials because of other people oppressing him, and he faced trials because of the schemes of the enemy. And they were more than he could handle. He talks about it in 2 Corinthians 1.8. He says, I think you ought to know, dear brothers, about the hard times we went through in Asia. We were really crushed and overwhelmed and feared we would never live through it. We felt we were doomed to die and saw how powerless we were to help ourselves. That's bad. Like, that's way more than he could handle. But he says, that was good. For then we put everything into the hands of God who alone could save us for even he can raise the dead. He's talking about how God raised Jesus, come on. We were powerless to help ourselves, but our trials brought us to the end of ourselves. It was good when we had more than we could handle because it brought us closer to God. We learned last week God uses everything for our good especially the hard times, because we talk to him more in the hard times. We let him comfort us more in the hard times. We experience his love more in the hard times. We connect to him more. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 3, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. Doesn't really feel like it. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and his rule. Less of you, more of God in your life. It's good to come to the end of yourself because that's where faith happens. When you're facing more than you can handle, you have an opportunity to say, God, I can't handle this. I can't do it, but you can. I'm trusting you with it. I'm resting in who you are. I'm not gonna take it back. I trust you can do more with it than I ever could on my own. I'm resting in your promises and your truth and I receive your comfort in the middle of my troubles. There's a story of a family who was at the lake and mom was inside doing dishes, watching the kids out the window. And dad was working on the boat and the kids are on the beach. And the four-year-old was on the beach one moment, but then in the next moment, he wasn't there. And dad, you know, he runs over, he dives into the water. Surely his son is in the water. He's looking around for him. Can't find anything. The water's really murky. He's got to come up for air. He's like, what is going on? He dives back down. 
And when he's down there in the darkness, he feels a little foot. And he feels his son holding on for dear life to the pylon. And he's like trying to pull him off of there. He's prying his little hands off of there. And he takes his son, he gets him up to the surface. The son's fine, thank God. But when they were on the shore, the dad asked him, what were you doing when I was trying to pry you free? What were you doing down there, son? And the boy replied, I was just waiting for you, dad. I was just waiting for you. When you're going through more than you can handle, sometimes the best thing you can do is hold on and wait for God. Have faith that he'll rescue you. Just like Paul, who said, I put everything in God's hands because we couldn't do it ourselves. We knew that God could save us. There will be times when the journey is too much for you. It was too much for Elijah in 1 Kings, and the angel said, this is too much for you. There will be hard times. There will be times that don't make sense. There will be things that you don't understand. In those moments, you need to remember, you don't have to handle it on your own. When you're tempted, God will provide a way out. In times of trouble, you can turn to God to get you through. And then there's a third time when you'll have more than you can handle. And this is opportunities. Opportunities that God allows in your life that are way too big for you, but things that he absolutely gives you so that you can become who he created you to be. Ephesians 3.20 says, glory be to God who by his mighty power at work within us is able to do far more than we could ever dare to ask or even dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. God can do more than we ask, dream, imagine, or handle because of his power at work within us, within us. Not because of anything we do, but because of who he is. For the rest of our time today, we're gonna look at the true story of Gideon. And we find the story in Judges 6. And this was before Jesus, so God's people had turned away from him. They started worshiping other gods. And because it was before Jesus, God related to people based on what they did. So when they said, God, we don't want you, he said, okay, I'll remove myself from your land. He doesn't force himself on anyone. He allows us to choose. But now when we trust in Jesus, God doesn't relate to us based on what we do, but on the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus, which is really good news for us. So we find the Israelites, they're being attacked by the Midianites and they were oppressed by them for seven years. They were forced out of their homes. The Midianites would come, they would destroy their crops. It was a terrible time. And finally, the Israelites, they remembered their God and they cried out to him for help. When you turn to God, he always responds to you. He says, when you call on me, I'll answer. And that's what he does. We see it in Judges 6, 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizrite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. All right, so we've got Gideon. He's in the winepress and he's threshing some wheat so he can feed his family. And he's doing it in secret because he knows if the Midianites see, they're gonna steal what little food that they have. And an angel of God appears, verse 12. He says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. 
Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. I hereby commission you. Gideon responded, but sir, how can I deliver Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I am the least in my family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you and you shall strike down the Midianites, every one of them. So the angel of the Lord comes, he says, you are a mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, exactly who I am. I'm a farmer. I'm part of the weakest clan. And actually, of all the farmers in our family, I'm the least. Gideon's saying, God, you've got the wrong guy. I mean, that sounds great, but it's more than I can handle. And we do that sometimes too. We say no to opportunities from God because we're like, that's too much. I mean, thanks God, but you don't know the places that I fall short you don't know that I'm not qualified. I don't have the experience. I don't have the degrees. You don't know about the times that I messed up. But here's the thing. God sees you and he says, no, 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 I see who you're becoming. So Moses made excuses. We'll see in Exodus 4.10. God tells him, go to Pharaoh, set your people free. Moses says, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech. I'm slow of tongue. And the Lord said to him, who made man's mouth? I love that. Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what to say. And Moses went on to deliver his people from slavery. God asked Moses, who couldn't speak. God asked Moses, who murdered a guy. Yeah, that's right. God asked him to represent his whole nation to Pharaoh. He believed in Moses more than Moses believed in himself. And Moses saved millions of people from slavery simply because he said yes and because God was with him. Jeremiah did the same thing. God tells him about the great plans he has for him. Jeremiah 1.6, he says, alas, sovereign Lord, I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. The Lord said to me, do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them. I'm with you and I will rescue you. Don't say I'm too young. Don't say you're too old. Don't say you're too much. Don't say you're not enough. Don't be afraid because God will be with you, people of hope. It doesn't matter what the facts are. God says, I know what your future is. Come on. Don't limit yourself. Jeremiah went on to be a mouthpiece for God because he trusted him over and over and over. If you look at the Bible, God gives people these huge opportunities that they cannot handle without him. And what if God wants to do more through you than you've experienced before? Maybe you felt a nudge to pay for the meal of the person in the drive-thru behind you. And you're like, yeah, but God, I don't have enough money in my bank account to do that. I don't make enough to be generous. Maybe you feel a nudge to talk to the cashier at the grocery store and invite them with you to hope. It doesn't make sense to talk to someone you don't know. So you're like, ah, I don't think so. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he'll make your path straight. We hear that and we're like, yeah, trust in the Lord with all your heart, that's so good. And then the lean not on your own understanding part, 
we don't actually do. If I think about my life, where are the places where I don't understand what I'm doing? What are the places that are beyond my understanding? What are the places that don't make sense? What are the places where I'm completely trusting God to do more than I could ever do? We only see a part, but God sees our whole story. He sees what we cannot. He sees where we're going, and it unfolds in steps of faith. God says, don't despise small beginnings. I love seeing the work begin in your life. He celebrates the places where you trust him. And what scares you now will be easy for you at this time next year. That doesn't mean it won't be hard. That doesn't mean you won't go through a process. But God sees who you can be. Last weekend, I had the privilege of preaching eight times in three days with our hullabaloo and Sunday morning. And a year ago, I would have said, that's impossible. Who, me? That's not who I am. I mean, preaching once every six months is tough. <laughs> but last fall, I had an opportunity where I was asked to prepare a message in two days. And I'm like, two days? That seems impossible. Yes. Let's do it, God. Where you say yes to God, come on. When you say yes to God, you see what he can do through you. And I keep... I kept saying yes to being stretched, yes to submitting my life to him, and eventually yes to preaching every weekend, and yes to preaching eight times last weekend. And you know what? That was easy because God is with me. There are places in your life that he wants to do so much more than you can imagine through his power at work within you. When you're facing more that you can handle, remember God is with you. Say yes. To the step. Say yes to being stretched. If you think about Gideon, he had never faced an army. His head was down. He was focused on getting food for his family. He didn't care about his whole nation, but God was about to transform him into a mighty warrior. God says, Gideon, go in this might of yours. Gideon's like, what might? I'm a farmer, remember? Gideon's ability to be vulnerable his ability to admit his weakness, to admit his need for God is actually his strength. That's his might. Paul talked about it like this. Put on the screen for you, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. My grace is sufficient for you. Unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor that I choose to give to you. It's sufficient for you. It's enough. It's where God's power works best. His power rests on our weaknesses. The Greek word there is to fix a tent. So wherever we have a weak place, God's like, set up camp over your weak place. Protect it. Cover it so that it can grow, so that it can be healed so that I can work, so that my power can work in your weakness. When you boast in your weakness, when you admit that you need help, his power camps right over that area of your life. And it provides that covering for you. It provides safety for you. And it provides power for you. But if you don't admit your weaknesses, he can't do that. If you don't admit that you need him, he, he doesn't camp over that place. His power works best when you're not enough because those are the places that you can trust him the most. I know this is hard for us because we don't like to admit where we're not enough. We don't like to be weak. We don't like to be vulnerable. But when we're brave enough to admit our weaknesses, 
That's where God's power works best. That's where God's power completes us. Don't try to hide your anger power, your anger problem. Trust God's power to work over it. Don't try to hide your shame. Trust God with it. Don't try to hide your fears. Trust God with them. Say, God, I can't do it alone. I need you. When you do that, God responds to you. So God, he gathers troops to Gideon, which is amazing, 32,000 of them to face 135,000 Midianites. Four to one odds. More than Gideon can handle. It's a weakness. Gideon's outnumbered. But God says, that's actually not weak enough. Judges 7, 2, the Lord said to Gideon, the troops with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Israel would only take the credit away from me, saying, my own hand has delivered me. Therefore, proclaim this in the hearing of the troops. Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home. Thus Gideon sifted them out. 22,000 returned. 10,000 remained. So, okay, Gideon has 10,000 troops to 135,000 enemies, 13 to one. And God's like, if you do too much in your own power, you're gonna miss the blessing that comes from depending on me. So I'm gonna help you. He's saying, Gideon, I'm giving you an incredible opportunity, but if you miss the point, if you think that you're doing all of this in your own strength, then you might as well have just stayed in the wine press. Judges 7, 4, the Lord said to Gideon, the troops are still too many. Take them down to the water. I'll sift them out for you there. When I say this one shall go with you, he shall go with you. When I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So he brought the troops down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, all those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps, you shall put to one side. It's like, oh, that's weird, God. You're definitely not choosing those ones. All those who kneel down to drink, putting their hands to their mouths, you shall put to the other side. The number of those that lapped was 300. The rest of the troops knelt down to drink water. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 that lapped, I will deliver you, surprise, and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon's got 300 guys now. 300 guys versus 135,000 enemies. That's 450 to one. Hope they have some good weapons. That's just where God wants them though, trusting him. And I love that God sifted out these troops incrementally, you know. He's like, Gideon, will you trust me with 32,000 troops? How about if I tell you to send home all the guys who are afraid? Will you trust me with 10,000 troops? Okay, how about just 300? Will you trust me there? And each time Gideon follows God's instructions, and each time he says, God, I do trust that you know what you're doing. I'll do what you say to do. I trust you. And that's what faith looks like. Can you imagine if God had been like, all right, Gideon, I'm going to give you 300 guys. You're going to defeat 135,000 people. What if he did that at the very beginning? Gideon would have been like, whoa, God, I don't know. That's a lot. But God was building Gideon's faith through a process. And he does the same thing with us. Sometimes we don't see it and sometimes we discount it, but it really is small steps of faith. Maybe right now God has been showing you a next step in your relationships Maybe someone you need to forgive. Maybe someone that you need to apologize to. Maybe a place you need to raise up a standard. Maybe he's been speaking to you about your finances or he wants you to trust him to fight for you. It starts with one step. So Gideon's got 300 guys. 
Judges 7, 9, Gideon divided the 300 men into three companies. He gave each man a trumpet. All right, we're going to make some music. <laughs> trumpet players say amen. And an empty jar with a torch in each jar. Here you go. You get a trumpet and you get a jar with a torch. Okay, cool. This is going to be great. He's a mighty warrior, right? <laughs> he says, watch me and do what I do. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly what I do. When I and those with me blow the trumpets, you also, all around the camp, blow your trumpets and shout, for God and for Gideon. So they surround the camp. They blow those trumpets. They smash those jars. And God causes the Midianites to kill each other. God causes the Midianites to run away. They're like, what's going on? Are there like bombs around here? What's happening? And they run away in fear. And they have the victory. Gideon defeated 135,000 Midianites with 300 men and God. It's so cool. You know, that ratio is comparable to the size of one of our church experiences, reaching all of Steuben County for Jesus. Come on, isn't that cool? You know that nothing is impossible for God. He's just getting started. So Gideon shows the guys what to do. He's like, do exactly what I do. Here you go. Here's your supplies. Now go. He trains them. He releases them. When we're looking at this, if you have more on your plate than you can handle, you trust God, and then you need to trust the people that he's placed in your life to help you. God brought the army to Gideon. Gideon had to show them what to do. God's brought people to you. Don't refuse their help. Some of us think we got to do everything ourselves. We're like, God won't give me more than I can handle. I got to fall on my sword. I got to do all the things. I got to be exhausted and self-righteous. God didn't create you for that. In the same way, God doesn't do everything himself. He uses people. He uses us. He tells us, go and make disciples. When he could do it himself, he uses people. He's not asking us to do anything he hasn't done. He's not asking us to be superheroes and do everything all by ourselves. He's saying, I've put people in your life for a reason. If you look at my preaching, for example, yes, God has trusted me to speak every weekend, but not just me. He's trusted me to raise up other communicators. So I'm not the only one. I shouldn't be the only one who can do what I do. You're not the only one who can do what you do in some places in your life. You can trust other people. When Moses was leading Israel, he took on the leadership all by himself. And his father-in-law stopped by. He had some advice for him, Exodus 18 14. When his father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you're doing? Why do you sit alone while all the people stand around you from morning till evening? He said to him, what you're doing is not good. A little criticism from the in-laws, okay. I'd like to see you lead all these people. Verse 18, you will surely wear yourself out, both you and these people with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You can't do it alone. Teach them the statutes and instructions and make known to them the way to go and the things to do. Look for able men among the people who fear God or trustworthy, hate dishonest gain. Set them over as officers over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Let them sit as judges for the people. Let them bring important cases to you. 
but decide minor cases themselves. It'll be easier for you, and they'll, they'll bear the burden with you. If you do this and God so commands you, you'll be able to endure, and all these people will go to their homes in peace. So he's saying, if you try to do this all by yourself, you're going to get tired. You're going to wear yourself out, and you're going to burn out the people you're trying to help. But if you'll empower other people, you'll be able to endure. The people will have peace, and all those other people will have purpose. God wants you and the people around you to thrive. There's a better way. We all have a limited amount of time because we're human, but we have an unlimited capacity to empower other people. In every area of life, focus on the things that only you can do, the things that God has specifically for you, and empower other people's, other people to take on the rest. At home, anybody could really make dinner for your family, but only you can be the wife and mom, or the husband and the dad. At work, only you can lead your company but you can empower others to do the rest so you can focus on the leadership that your team needs. I love John Maxwell. He says, if someone else has a potential to do a job at least 80% as well as me, I train them. You need to hand something off. Maybe it's not just physical pressures, but maybe you need to share some emotional burdens too. They could be burdens from the opportunities that are in front of you, or they could be burdens from trials that you're facing. And that's hard for a lot of us. We want to be strong. Remember, God's power works best in weakness. When we can say, I'm a human, I have emotions, I have needs, we experience more of God and the feelings that He created us to embrace. In your marriage, if you will choose to be vulnerable to your spouse, it's an opportunity for connection. It's an opportunity to bring you together, to hear each other's hearts, to comfort each other as God has comforted you, not to fix each other's problems, not to argue, but to be seen by your spouse and let them see you. In your friendships, it's an opportunity to connect. Jesus admitted his feelings to his friends, Peter, James, and John. Mark 14, 33, he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. This was right before he went to the cross. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. That's our Jesus talking. When was the last time you told a friend that you were overwhelmed? When was the last time you let someone else help you carry a burden that you weren't meant to carry by yourself? Some of you are believing God won't give you more than you can handle so you don't open up. But instead of believing you have to be strong, there's a better way. Admit the places that you're weak. Admit the places that you need God. Gideon did that a couple times in his story. We didn't have time to look at it, but over and over he's like, God, I don't know if I actually heard from you. I'm kind of doubting. Give me a sign. And every time, God's like, all right, Gideon, here you go. Gideon doubts. He's afraid. But God met him in those places. God encouraged him. 
God understands where you're at and he wants to meet you right there. That place of more than you can handle. Whether you're going through a hard time or a stretching time, he wants you to trust him. This week, anytime you feel overwhelmed, anytime you feel like you don't know what to do, instead of trying to do everything yourself, instead of trying to hunker down or hustle your way through, I want you to make a choice and say, God, I trust you with this thing. God, I trust you with this opportunity. God, will you help me in this trial? Will you help me where this hurts? Don't lean on your own understanding. He's been there, he's been there before. He wants to help you. Trust him. In this world, you will face more than you can handle. But the good news is that Jesus has overcome the world. And when you know Jesus, you're not alone. When you know Jesus, God is with you. He goes before you. He doesn't leave you. He doesn't forsake you. He comforts you. He guides you. He helps you. He's an ever-present help. He cares about you.